Well, amen. Good morning, and uh, thank you for this privilege, Dr. Paul. And uh, it's a joy to represent you at the Baptist College of Florida and serve Florida Baptist in your flagship institution for Christian higher education. We are in our 81st year at the Baptist College of Florida training pastors and missionaries and worship leaders as well as business leaders and educators and those in counseling and psychology and social work. And it's a great day to be a part of your great college. Your gifts that you give to Mission Hill, a portion of that goes to fund all of our work in Florida Baptist life and a portion of that comes to the Baptist College of Florida so we can train the next generation of leaders. We have over 4,500 graduates, many of which are serving in the state of Florida. We have about 2,500 graduates serving in church-related vocations here in our state, around the southeast, and around the world. And uh, that's uh, pretty awesome. But we're also training these others that are involved in other endeavors. Uh, of course, we offer courses online, undergrad, and graduate programs. And it's an exciting day. Linda and I have been there for a little over six months as the new president. We're launching a campus in Miami in a few weeks and then a commuter campus in, campus in Clearwater next year as well. So uh, you can take advantage of these programs and opportunities for training and equipping. So thank you for your gifts, your partnership, and your prayers for the Baptist College of Florida. Hey, I want to ask you to grab that card that's there with you, that Connect card. You're going to need it for the back of it at the end of the service. H have you ever um, done any exercise and heard the expression, second wind? You, you know what I'm talking about now? Now, I'm not a runner. Uh, I know that shocks you with my sleek frame and everything. You probably think this guy's just ran in here. No, no, I'm not a runner. In fact, I, I've been forced to run the mile on two occasions in my life. They were in school. You know, they made you do that like in seventh grade, and I almost died it was so bad and then then they made you do it again a few years later and I made a commitment before the Lord that day I'll not run the mile again if the Lord would give me grace to do it now I love runners and I'm grateful for you you know you got 13.1 and 26.2 plastered all over the back of your vehicle and and that's something admirable and and, and impressive but that's just not me because when I start running it doesn't take long till I get this pain in my side you know what I'm talking about I mean this excruciating pain it's a sign that I shouldn't be doing this but uh, still that that's because when you first start exercising vigorously you start exercising without your muscles being fully oxygenated for the amount of energy that they're using up and so it's it's an anaerobic exercise which creates this pain this cramping that you have until your lungs catch up your blood flow catches up gets everything oxygenated and then you begin to exercise aerobically where the the muscles are getting all the appropriate oxygen that they need to function properly and you kind of feel refreshed you get your second win. Now, every believer in Jesus Christ goes through a season of life where they need a second wind. I mean, you begin to serve, and you begin to walk with God, but things come into your life and struggles enter into your life, and you need that second wind. And, and today I'm going to preach to you on the subject of God's gift of grace and talk to you about how God's grace can give you an incredible flow of a second wind 
in your life. Now, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and so open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, or excuse me, chapter 9. We're going to read verse 8 in just a moment. Paul's already written to this church now several letters. In fact, this is the fourth letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. We really don't have the first letter. He refers to it in 1 Corinthians, another letter he had written. We don't have it. So 1 Corinthians is kind of 2 Corinthians. And then in 2 Corinthians, he refers to another letter he wrote after 1 Corinthians. So, so 2 Corinthians is kind of 4 Corinthians, but whatever. We've got, Paul has told them about their unity problems, and he's tried to help solve them. He's spoken to them about their purity issues and tried to bring some resolution to that. They had distorted sexuality and, and were misusing it. And He's talked to them about doctrinal fidelity in, in the first letter, 1 Corinthians. Talked to them about the resurrection, tried to help clear those things up for them. And 1 Corinthians is a very strong letter to a divided, broken church. 2 Corinthians has got a very different tone. It begins with comfort, and really the whole book is about comfort. The church was disturbed. The church was having a lot of angst, a lot of pain as a body of believers. They were hurting because of suffering that they were enduring. They were hurting because they had been wronged by one another. And as a church, they'd gone through a season of brokenness because someone had sinned against that flock and really tore their fellowship apart. And Paul writes to them about how to forgive them and how to move forward as a church. A comforting word. He comforts them in the face of death in chapter 5, 6, and 7. And when he comes to chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, he begins to speak to them really about being comforted in this moment of want, of need, and still being able to sacrificially give. And in chapter 8 and 9, he's talking about giving. He's talking about giving an offering. And in the midst of that conversation about giving an offering, he makes this statement, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. I want you to look at it with me. Paul says, And God is able to make all grace, or every grace, overflow to you. So that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Paul takes this immediate context of needing to give sacrificially as a body and he balloons it into a broader context and says, listen, this applies to all of God's grace. This applies, to, this applies to every grace that God has for you. So let's take a minute and talk about God's gift of grace. And I want you to keep that card handy because at the conclusion of the service, I'm going to ask you to write down at the bottom of that prayer section there what you're needing God's grace for right now. Because I, I believe that every one of us are in this fresh moment of needing a fresh flow of God's grace. The text talks about, first of all, the activity of God's grace. He says, and God is make, able to make every grace, New King James says, all grace. What's he talking about here? He's talking about God's grace, its multifaceted nature. Now, we love to sing about the grace of God. We love to talk about the grace of God. We love to glory in the grace of God, and we should. 
And oftentimes as we try to define the grace of God, we might struggle for a definition. Someone said grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's unmerited favor. Well, God's grace is a distinct transmission of His ability by His Spirit to a believer. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 40 that Jesus grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon Him. In John 1 and verse 14, John said Jesus was full of grace and truth. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 33, the Bible says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The Bible says of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 that he was full of grace and power. And Paul said, I received grace and apostleship. James says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So there are many faces and facets of this beautiful grace, this distinct transmission of God into your life, his enabling power, his working power in your life. Every grace. Let me show you three of them the text talks about. You see, it's by God's grace that He forgives us. You are forgiven by the grace of God. It is unmerited favor. You did not earn it. You cannot deserve it. It is a, a distinct transmission of God's favor and grace into your life. His power, His enablement. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. It is by God's grace that you were forgiven of all of your sin. The Bible teaches that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we can see that ourselves just from associating with humankind, friend. You ever met anyone who was perfect? Now, I've met some people who thought they were perfect, but the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and it's only by God's grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross who died for your sin, who paid the penalty for your sin, who took your place, who took your punishment, who paid your price, that you can be reconciled unto God. It will not happen by good effort, it will not happen by religious service. It will not happen by purity of ritual. It will only come by a distinct transmission of the grace of Almighty God. By grace you're saved through faith. That's how you are saved. He forgives you through His grace when you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you have never repented of sin and trusted in Christ, today the door of heaven stands open. Today we invite you to come and be forgiven. But God's grace does not finish when you're forgiven. God's grace actually not only forgives us, but it's through His grace that He forms us. He forms us by His grace. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. 
But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Do you see Paul's talking about the formation in his life? Not only was he forgiven by God's grace, but God continued to work in his life and formed him into the man of God that God had called him to be by his grace. He would write in Colossians chapter 2, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive him? Repentance and faith and his grace flowed into your life. How do you walk in him? By faith you walk with him and his grace works in your life. The verse that we're studying today says that all grace, every grace will flow into your life so that you can be thoroughly furnished, equipped, and enabled to do every good work by his grace. You say, Pastor, God's placed us in this unique city, in this unique community, at this unique moment in time. How on earth will our church be able to reach the people all around us? By God's grace. That's how. God, in His grace, will enable you to do it. You say, well, why does it have to be so hard if it's by grace? Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Why does it have to be such a challenge? Have you ever thought that God made it a challenge to display His greatness in your life? Also to keep you on your toes? We don't do well with ease, do we? I read a story about a, a cod fisherman who was trying to ship his fish across country in order to sell them because there was a massive market for them. So the first thing he did was he froze them and shipped them, and when they thawed them out and cooked them, they had no flavor. They said, no, we don't want any more. And so he was like, well, I can't send them frozen. So he sent them in tanks. And when they arrived, they had been basically just without movement for a week, days. And they had lost their flavor again they were kinda not good and so he was trying to figure out what could I do he decided what he would do is he would place catfish in the tank with codfish catfish and codfish are arch rivals and what would happen is and what did happen is when the codfish arrived they had been running from the catfish in their tank the entire time and when they prepared them they tasted delicious. And so what he began to do was put the enemy, allow the enemy of the codfish to dwell in the same region as the codfish to keep it sharp. You ever thought it's hard because God's at work in your life? Because God's doing something great in your church? Paul said in the next few chapters that he ascended into the third heaven. And lest he be exalted above measure, God gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. You see, God forms us by his grace. He forgives us by his grace. And there's a third grace he finishes us with His grace. Do you know there's a grace that you have yet to receive that you will receive 
when you receive your glorified body? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God's grace is going to finish you one day. He's going to complete the work that He started in your life. The Bible says in Philippians 1, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, the supply chain in the United States recently has really been a mess, hasn't it? Before uh, God called me to this new position, I was the pastor at the Church at the Cross in Orlando, and we were in the middle of a building project when the pandemic hit. We ended up waiting almost one year on some electrical equipment that we had for our building. And they kept telling me, well, it is in the port of Los Angeles. The boat has come in, but they cannot port. They can't come all the way in. Well, they kept telling me that, so I decided to read up on it. Do you know that harbor pilots are the highest paid government employees in Los Angeles, California. They make roughly beginning salary $435,000 a year. Now, I know what you're saying. Sign me up. Is that on the app? Can I get... Well, you got to realize that harbor pilots, they have to do a 10-year process before they will ever allow them to navigate the first steamship line vessel into port. A 10-year process. And the 5% of harbor pilots die on the job because of the, the raging waters, the big vessels that they have to board, and all of the peril that they face. So it's not the easiest job in the world. And one harbor pilot on one shift can navigate two vessels to port, and that's all. That's how long it takes to do it. So what happens is when you come to the outskirts of the port of Los Angeles, you have to wait, and then the captain of the vessel has to yield control of the vessel to the harbor pilot who boards the vessel and then navigates the ship into the port. A very specialized job. And what happened is that they got COVID, and they were sick, and so they they didn't have many extras, and so the boats just started piling up out there, waiting on them to get well, navigate them to shore. At the end of your life, the Bible says He's before ordained the bounds of your habitation. There is a time for you to be born and a time for you to die. And at that time, the Lord will navigate you into port, into glory. And he will finish the work he started in your life. Amen, church. That's the activity of his grace. And, the, and Paul said, and God is able to make every grace abound toward you. So that you can have all that you need for every good work. The Bible speaks about the availability of God's grace in this text. That God's grace is available to you for every good work. 
that God can enable you to, so that you would have all sufficiency in all things. You say, Pastor, you don't know the home I'm living in. You don't know the job I'm working in. You don't know the body I'm dealing with. You don't know my health issues. No, I don't, but I do know the grace of God. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work that God has called you to do. You see, God's supply is unconditional and it's constant. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 a year. He has a Niagara flow of grace for you. The problem is our receptivity is selective and sporadic. His supply is overwhelming and abundant. We just rarely tap into the supply. And the Bible gives us three concepts, three essential understandings we must come to in order to tap into the supply of God's grace. The Bible says, first of all, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To grow in grace. There ought to be an expansion going on in your life. Peter wrote it like this in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. But grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You say, well, how do I grow in grace? God is growing you. God is expanding you. God is working in you both to expand your territory, but as the Bible says of Solomon, God enlarged his heart. When God gives you His grace, then He will expand your capacity to receive God's grace and give you more grace. In fact, the Scripture says, and He gives more grace. So we've been called to grow in this grace. That's the commission Jesus has given us. Yes, we have His forgiving grace, but now He's forming in us and He's calling us to new things and beautiful things and more powerful things. And He's stretching us every day. The same way when a tree grows, the bark grows with it. God is stretching you. So 20 years ago, I was walking in the grace of God to the full capacity that I had, but today I've got more capacity than I had then. I have grown in the grace. How about you? Are you growing in the grace of God? During the 19th century, Ireland was stricken with a potato famine. And it was during that time that many Irish people immigrated to America. And a young boy, an Irish boy, stowed away on an American-bound ship. And as the story goes, tragically, the ship struck an iceberg. And the boat captain knew exactly how many people he had on board of his ship. And he, unlike the captain of the Titanic, was prepared to load them all in rescue vessels. And so they loaded up all of these smaller boats, these lifeboats as they're called. And when everyone was loaded at his count, he stepped aboard the last lifeboat into the last possible space. And they began to move away from the ship. As the ship was sinking, he looked back and saw fire had broken out and could see that there was a boy 
left aboard the ship. He called the captain of the lifeboat, the man who was navigating it, to return to the vessel. And he called out to the boy and he said, Come, he loaded the boy in his place on the lifeboat. There was no other spot for him. And the captain went down with the ship. And the last thing he said to the boy as the story goes is while you live now, remember what I've done for you. And as Jesus Christ hung upon the cross for you to pay for your sin, and His grace now has cleansed you, made you whole. What He asks of us is that we would remember what He has done for us and that we would live a life worthy of the calling wherewith we were called to grow in the grace of God. Christianity is not about spectating. It's not about, God, what are you doing for me today? The Bible says that we are called to grow in His grace, to serve Him, to walk in Him. And in that process, He's going to deepen us. The Bible also tells us to labor in the grace. Again, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am, but his grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all. Paul said, I labored in the grace. There's a work for you and I to do in the grace of God. These are our spiritual disciplines. This is your prayer life. This is your fasting life. This is seeking His face. This is your obedience in sharing the gospel and being a good steward of Him, of assembling together and worshiping and, and studying God's Word, meditating on His Word, sharing the gospel with others, taking the gospel to the nations. These spiritual disciplines, the Bible says God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble, those who labor in this grace in order to grow in the grace of God. You see, these are the ditches through which the water of God's grace flows into your life. But this is not the water of God's grace. Jesus was very specific to point out to us that the ritual of fasting or the ritual of giving or the spiritual function of praying is not the substitute for the presence of God. Not to do it with empty, vain repetition. Not to do it to be seen of others. Not to do it just for the ritual, for the religious part of it. But rather to do it out of a sincere heart for God to labor in the grace of God and allow Him to work in your life. Give God access to your life. Has God got access to your life? you giving Him time and place? Are you laboring? in the grace some years ago many years ago now 25 years ago I traveled to China for my first time I was in Shanghai and looking out our 30th story window in the hotel I counted 36 cranes now I'm not talking about the flappy wing kind I'm talking about the metal crane kind building skyscrapers just in one direction, I counted 36 cranes. They say the national bird of China is the crane, but uh, you'll get that later. So, uh, well, I got to look, and I don't know if you've ever done this high up in one of those buildings where you press your forehead against the window and kind of look down at the street. 
It's kind of scary. Kind of get that tummy tingle like, ooh. Well, I, I didn't notice until then that right next door across the street was one of these skyscrapers that they were building. They were up about 20, 25 stories. And, and then I started looking even more closely and I discovered that they had used bamboo scaffolding around this building from the ground all the way up. It was bamboo scaffolding. Now, and there were people all over that bamboo scaffolding up 20 floors on it with concrete and supplies and they were working. There's no way you could have gotten me on that bamboo scaffolding. But, but you see, these disciplines in your life, that's the scaffolding God has for Him to be able to work in your heart, for Him to be able to do surgery in your life. Your quiet time is important, but your quiet time is not what God's doing. God's doing something through your quiet time. God's doing something through your prayer time. God's doing something in you through these spiritual disciplines. Labor in the grace. Grow in the grace. And then the Bible teaches us just to lean into this grace. I reminded you a few moments ago what happens in the next few chapters. How that Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. In order to buffet him, to keep him humble, if you will. Lest he be exalted above measure. And on three occasions, Paul begged God to remove it. And I don't think these are three passive little prayers. I think they were seasons. God said, please remove, this thing is preventing me from being all you've called me to be, O oh God. This, this thorn in my flesh is keeping me from doing your work and your will. It's hindering my life. And Paul begged God to remove it. And after that third season of prayer, God said to him, you know what he said? My grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness most gladly therefore I'll rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me what is it in your life that you've been begging God to take away and he has left it there you say well it's a thorn in my life and it is it's from the devil, and it was. But yet God has a plan for it. And what he's saying is you're going to lean into that grace that God has in the midst of that. Some of you are teetering on losing your faith because of the thorn that God intends to do something great in your life and in your family through. You see, God's grace is available for you to grow. God's grace is abundant when you labor in it. And God's grace is amazing in the context of a thorn. We've seen the activity of God's grace and the availability of God's grace. Let's talk about the abundance of God's grace as we close. And grab that card that I ask you to hold on to. 
Paul said, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. On that prayer section right there, what do you need grace for today? What do you need grace for? I want you just to write that down. What do you need grace for today? God, I need grace. Could be for forgiveness. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. In just a moment, our instrumentalists are going to come. We're going to stand and sing a, a worship song. We're going to have pastors here at the front. We're going to have pastors in the back, pastors in the foyers, counselors. We're going to be ready to talk to you. Friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ, today you can have your sin forgiven. You can be made whole today. He'll come into your heart. He'll clean you. He'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. What do you need grace for today? Is it to witness to a friend or a neighbor? Write that on there. Is it to love your spouse? To know how to talk to your kids? To heal a broken heart? What is it you need grace for? Is it resources? Is it help? Write it on there. The Bible says that God has abundant grace for every good work. And then for this church, what about as a collective mission hill? And all of its satellites and other campuses, what an opportunity to reach this area with the gospel. What are you praying for? And God is able to make every grace abound toward you so that you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work thank God for his grace would you bow your heads with me close your eyes just a moment our father we are amazed at your grace thank you for the grace of God thank you for Jesus Christ who lived the life we couldn't live who died as a sinless sacrifice who was buried and was raised from the dead for our sin and for our justification and thank you Lord today that he sits on the throne of heaven sits in the throne of our hearts and gives us new life Lord I pray for that young family, that young person, that broken heart, that broken home. I pray for that one that needs wisdom and guidance, that one that needs forgiveness. And, and all over this building and listening to us online, I pray for God's grace to flow beautifully into every life and that we would trust in you for that flow of grace. Lord, for those who are just enduring in a tremendous thorn and season of brokenness Lord I pray they'd be comforted realizing that you have a sovereign plan for it and your grace really is sufficient <laughs>
So pour out your spirit in every life. I pray there'd be freedom to come and pray, talk with someone, just a, a real authenticity in the house in these moments as we respond to your matchless grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word this morning.